Welcome back, everybody. My name is Dan Linhart, and on today's episode, I had a chance to talk with Carrie Jenkins. Carrie is the CEO of Substantial, a world-class digital innovation and build studio known for partnering with future-driven organizations to create meaningful, business-changing digital products and cultures. In my conversation with Carrie, you can help but hear and feel the passion she has for innovation, design, and technology, and how the important topic of ethics should be top of mind for everyone in the tech space. And since technology touches every aspect of our lives, all of us are included in this important conversation. Are we helping or hurting the world? Are we creating products that enable flourishing or that hinder us from being fully human? I learned from Carrie that this is a conversation for companies, teams, and individuals. We all need to consider the impact and meaning we are delivering through the products we make and the work we do. My time with Carrie was packed with topics that both challenged and inspired me. It was amazing. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Here we go. Carrie, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, just in the, the short time uh, we've had, um, I've just gotten super excited to talk with you today and explore some topics that I think are um, similar ones that we think a lot about in this space. I'm excited to talk, talk shop and learn more about your backstory and your work that you and your team are doing at Substantial. So again, thanks for being here. Um, I'm going to turn it right over to you. Would love for you to tell us more about who you are, um, your background, your journey, and then how you found yourself at Substantial. Wow. How much time do you have? <laughs> as much as you want. As much as you want. I totally. have 48 years of stories to tell. Um, I, I was raised in a small town in Louisiana. I was born in Nashville. My parents are from Birmingham. So I'm, oh. I'm Southern yeah. uh, through and through. But I did go away to college in New York City and then went to graduate school in Missoula, Montana, University of Montana. Uh, so I've been around a bit. I've been in Seattle for 15 years. Okay. Um, and, and the majority of that time, I've actually been at Substantial. So uh, my journey there is winding. So if there's any <laughs> wisdom I can impart to anyone listening is that, you know, plans are weird. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> great things will happen to you, even if you are not planning them, if you're right. just looking for the right opportunity and, and learning and growth have always been uh, two things that energize me the most. And so mm. my career has been weird. I'm not going to lie. I started off um, in journalism as a journalist uh, working in magazines and was managing some digital um, properties for a magazine when I decided to leave New York City and was sort of at a crossroads. So what do I do if I'm not in New York City and who am I and all the things that happen in, in your late 20s. Right. And because I had that that experience with, you know, digital uh, editorial um, and product, I sort of pivoted at that point yeah. and took um, a couple jobs in a row in digital product. And this, you know, this is late nineties. So it was mm -hmm. all very new. Not a lot of people had that experience. Right. And, and so it, it really did open up an entirely new career path for me. And so I was in project management, delivery mm -hmm. management, program management for, you know, decade plus before I got to sub substantial and yeah. substantial is headquartered in Seattle, mm. um, but we're sort of distributed all over. And 
it's a really a true and true digital product studio in the sense that we've been building and deploying digital products for 14 years. It's been wow. around for a while, um, but we are full service in the, in the sense that we do research, we do innovation, uh, we obviously build and deploy products, we do capacity building, mm. um, and all of this is in a client services model. So we're, we're consultants, but we're a pretty yeah. unusual consultancy from that standpoint. So when I came on, I was uh, building the client services uh, capability out and and really putting some rigor around that. And I stayed mm -hmm. <laughs> because it was such a unique environment. It yeah. was a, at the time, very felt very much like a startup. Um, mm -hmm. And we were working on really interesting technology problems and sort of building our space uh, and capability and design. And it was a really exciting place to be. It was weird. Um, because I come from a much more traditional digital agency yeah. uh, background. And so the, the transition substantial was, was odd. <laughs> so, you, so you went from kind of larger agency experience to small yeah. startup. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That is and totally different world. <laughs> it was a different world and yeah. um, a really different kind of client base and really different kinds of challenges uh, sure. and went from a very sort of large e-commerce and corporate environment where we were building large-scale enterprise products to a lean and agile mm -hmm. and very um, startup focused in some sense even even startup focused with the large clients that we sure. work with right? yep. because we don't we don't just work with startups in fact that's you know a small proportion of what we do but we do a lot of startup style mm -hmm. engagements right where people need yep. a team of specialists to come in and really help them conceptualize and define yep. what success could look like for a business line and that's what we create and so i you know i stuck around um i mean i remember when i took the job i was like I wonder how long i'll last <laughs> <laughs> that was almost a decade how ago. long am i going to uh, be here yeah <laughs> I know. I was like, wow but it was very yeah. technology focused which mm -hmm. was exciting for me at the time i'd always been at very very design focused organizations and the irony yep. is now we're very balanced right um yeah. and and so it's it's sort of a sweet spot now because so i think it was it, it was great for me able to bring my background that's much more design focused into mm -hmm. a much more technology focused environment um mm -hmm. and we have built up a, a insanely talented uh, design team to complement an insanely talented engineering team. Mm. And so it, it was the combination of working on the um, on very interesting projects um, with clients who were really in it with us um, and were co-collaborators and co-creators, which was which was very different from the client services work I oh, yeah. come from. Um, and just insanely smart people that I was learning from just daily. And, and yep. so I joined, I don't know, I joined the leadership team five or six years ago and mm -hmm. um, was head of client services and then um, was vice president of client services and new business development. Mm -hmm. And and then our the current CEO decided they were ready to step down yep. and I stepped up. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. You mentioned- It has been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's been the most challenging yeah. and exciting and fulfilling. It's been three years and it really has. I mean, there's definitely been some hard times. Oh, without question. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Uh, besides parenting, but it's also been, <laughs> yeah. you know, the most fulfilling thing I've ever done mm -hmm. besides parenting. 
Yeah. It's interesting. You say that I was having a, I was having lunch yesterday with a mentor of mine and we were just kind of talking about, you know, catch me up kind of conversation. And he asked me and I said, it's interesting. I'm in a really good spot, even though there it's heavy right now. So we're really heavy into strategic planning right now. We're at 50 okay. people and, uh, we call them inflection points. And we see that there's an inflection point to where, um, as far as our trajectory and journey. And, um, I just mentioned it's heavy, but good. It's like, have you ever carried a really heavy weight in one hand and you have to so overcompensate the other way and, it's super difficult. It's really hard. It's actually easier if you pick up another weight and carry equal weight in both mm-hmm. hands. I'm carrying more weight, but it's balanced and it, yeah. and, it's, and it feels better. It feels even like I'm on a better path. And so that's kind of how um, I was describing that of like, you mentioned, yeah, it's been three years. It's been really good, but it's been really challenging. It's like, that's how yeah. I was describing that. Absolutely. Um, going back to what you said about startups, um, you know, they have had such a you know, they pull on, on George and I's heartstrings for sure, because as we, when we got our start, you know, startups were a, a large pool of, of mm-hmm. our client base. Uh, cause we were small. Um, we had a really good network within that community and we bought into lean UX and agile immediately, uh, from an agency perspective and a product development uh, perspective. We don't, we aren't able to work with startups as much as I'm sure, uh, yeah. you know, um, but whenever you can, whenever we can, um, it's a nice mix, uh, to what we're doing, but you mentioned distributed all over, wanted to go back to that. Uh, tell us yeah. more about your team. Uh, have you always been distributed? Has that changed, you know, since, <laughs> <laughs> since 2020, yeah. or has it just been maybe more emphasized? Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, sort of all of the above. We've always yeah. had some, we've always had some distributed team members, mm-hmm. um, almost entirely. Those were people who had been formerly located in one of our two offices, because for a while yep. we had an office in San Francisco that we closed several yep. years ago, but, um, but we've always been headquartered in Seattle. So as those people have scattered, they have stayed on um, mm-hmm. as long as they were interested in working remotely. We, we were interested in having them. We'd built a lot of trust. And, and so it was pretty smooth. And, and then most people were headquartered in Seattle. Most people were in the office most days. We certainly had flexibility and there was, there was work from home, but you know, most people were in the office most of the time. And then we had a few scattered, you know, distributed folks. And then (laughs) 2020 happened. 2020 happened. 2020 happened. And we went all remote, everybody within, I mean, I made the call, maybe the second week in March, I mean, it was early because I was following my husband works in biotech and I was following what Fred Hutch, which is really Mm -hmm. well-known research and and science Institute here was doing. And as soon as they were like, we are closing our office, I'm like, I'm going to do what they're doing. Yeah. And I knew that with some work, you know, with some adjustment, we, we could survive. We Mm -hmm. would be okay. And so I was like, this safety was first. And I wanted to sort of get ahead of the curve so people could start getting used to it and Mm -hmm. we can make that transition. So we did it really early, um, probably a week and a half to two weeks earlier than most companies did it. Mm -hmm. And we started getting used to it. And the thing I said to the company, the very first meeting, the very first all hands meeting we had after we did it, when I told them like, Hey, this is indefinite but we were expecting it to be several months right do you remember when we thought it was going to be for like my goodness yes six to eight weeks right you know there was just so much chatter about how this situation had gotten it was already way Mm -hmm. more out of hand than we were admitting to ourselves and so I said to them it's like there is 
one definite silver lining here, which is that we're going to learn to be a better remote company because mm -hmm. it was abundantly clear within the first two weeks that those few employees who had been remote prior to this were having a really terrible <laughs> experience <laughs> as remote employees. It's like everybody right. else is in the office. They can't see the whiteboard. People forget to start the Zoom. Nobody's recording their meetings. None of the artifacts are in a place where they can consume them because they're on whiteboards that are getting yep. stickies that are getting erased. And it was so clear within just a few days of all of us working, like how there are benefits they couldn't, you know, take advantage of and, um, and then obviously camaraderie and all of those mm -hmm. things. And so making the switch and doing it over the year, and it was, it was hard for people, right? Yep. Like for as much conversation as there is about how the added flexibility has helped people. And as a parent, of course, it's helped me. Those people with commutes, just the ability to be flexible about where you live. I, I'm all for all that, but we have employees who've been desperately lonely, right? Yeah. Who have missed yep. their coworkers and the camaraderie and um, that feeling of working next to people too. And um, and I, I don't want to forget about them, right? Yep. Like um, there's so much that's good about mm -hmm. total flexibility. And then there's there's a lot of things that are pretty amazing about, you know, seeing a coworker, getting oh. coffee and, yes. and all those things. So we had made the call that we wouldn't reopen our office until Washington was in phase four, totally mm -hmm. open. That's happening in just a few days. Um, we're opening our offices back up July 19th, but we intend to be fully hybrid forever. Yep. yep. So, um, you know, anybody can work from home whenever they want to, you know, questions asked, um, you can work from the, we have our, my CTO is on a months long road trip right now and working from the road. Awesome. Um, and and that's the intention. So we've had uh, we've had more people move, and we're now hiring outside of the Seattle area. Um, and you know, I think it's going to be an interesting. I definitely think there'll be adjustment when we go back into the office mm -hmm. with hybrid. But mm -hmm. I fully expect the office to open and us to show up for meetings, and there'll still be more people remote than there yep. are in the office. That's going to yep. happen a lot. Yep. Um, we're right at we're right at fifty um, with our mm -hmm. flex staff included, and, and so we're an interesting side. This is my office behind me if that wasn't yeah. obvious um yeah. i guess this isn't video but <laughs> either way um we have a beautiful we have a beautiful space and um i'm, I'm super happy to be in it again but sometimes it's going to feel a little empty <laughs> yeah absolutely it's so it's so funny hearing you speak because i feel like we've been living the same life for the like the last oh, year and sure. a half because yeah, we made the call the second week of march as well uh when kansas city went into um, you know, stay at home order. So uh, we went into very quickly, um, we made that call for everyone to, to work from home. And one thing that we had going for us similar to you is that in 2017, our first um, employee went remote, and then we had two or three. And by the by the time that um, COVID came, uh, we I think we had three or four that were remote. And so we had because of all of the trials that you described of um, sitting in a meeting with everyone else that's in the room and you're the one person that's not there. And it's hard to see again, what's being written down on a whiteboard. There's, you can't participate in a lot of the benefits or perks or just being around other people. Those extemporaneous conversations okay. where you knock on the desk, where a lot of innovation and creativity comes from. We didn't realize all of that until we all went remote. And then we realized, oh my goodness. Okay. So we, we missed some things. We missed some things as a, as a remote organization. And so what it forced us to do is yes, we went up and we were productive pretty quickly 
within a day or two, simply because remote had, had already been in our strategy, yeah. but we realized, okay, there are some serious gaps as well, as far as the inclusivity and how do we make it to where, how can everyone participate in a certain benefit that was particularly localized for a long time since, because we were always local. Right. But then people went remote and those things just slipped through the cracks. And so I think it's made our, our culture better. Uh, because we've learned those things and we were all, we were all able to experience, but like you, we're going full hybrid. So we opened our office back up uh, the second week of May. So um, we've been back and it's just, it's like you said, we have on average, you know, people maybe going in twice a week. Uh, They love, they've developed, I think what's been good is they've developed a really good rhythm at home. Um, and I, and I'm speaking for myself. Um, I have four kids and so just in summer and school, you know, it used to be, I get done at five 30, you know, I still have a 35, 40 minute commute. Oh, I'll call my wife and say, hun, I'll meet you at the ball field. I'll pick up McDonald's on the way (laughs) or whatever. And we'd meet there. But, uh, with this rhythm, it was, you know, I can close my laptop at four 30 if I need to and help you know, kids get in baseball uniforms or swimsuits for swimming lessons or whatever, um, in a hybrid, in that hybrid model. And so like you, we have, we're going to go to that model. Um, it's the model of the future. Um, but we also really recognize, <laughs> and we also recognize, and I can hear this in your voice too, just the, hum, the, the human to human connection of being able to work side by side, another human, um, at those times where you need to, cause like you, we had, um, we had some isolation, we had oh, a lot yeah. of isolation and it's really hard. It's really hard. Um, yeah. depending on, you know, what phase of life you're in or where you're living, um, some felt it more than others. And so being able to have that office back, it was a welcome reprieve for sure for a lot of our employees. And it's just fun to see people smile <laughs> again yeah. and just walk by someone <laughs> like, how are you? Tell me what did you do last night? You know? Um, yeah. so yeah, we are, we are right there with you. Um, so speaking of uh, the, the human to human interaction, um, I have just loved, I mentioned this to you, just looking <laughs> at your website the last couple of days. One, it's beautiful. Um, it's you. fantastic. And I am just really, I've been reading through all of your language around digital optimism and ethics and technology and human, uh, just how technology is it helping us? Is it serving <laughs> us or is it, is it hurting us? And so I just wanted to give you a chance and just dive in, you know, digital optimism. Tell me more. I know it's a passion yeah. of yours. I can tell. Um, <laughs> I've, I've read a little bit of uh, some other talks that you've done um, and looked at your site, but love for you to, to kind of unpack your viewpoint there. Cause it, yeah. it, I can tell it's a, it's a pivotal, it's a uh, pivotal viewpoint for you. It, it is. It absolutely is. And it, it's, it's very intentional in the sense that I, I do speak in the community quite a bit about technology's role in our lives and, and our, our particular responsibility as technologists, right? The people who create and build innovation and technology, um, the products that are, you know, could save the world and can ruin the world. And we are, we're doing all of that, right? Right, right. <laughs> we're doing the good stuff. We're That's doing right. the bad stuff. We, should, yep. we might as well just admit it to ourselves. That's what's happening. And uh, I'm, I'm really passionate about a couple of things. One mm. is, is the idea that we hold dear to us that technology can be a force for good. Mm. That technology has been a driver of lots of really amazing innovations that have positively impacted billions of people. 
Right. And sometimes that can be hard to remember because I'm as dismayed as anybody <laughs> at what I see going on. Right. Sure. Like I am, uh, you know, more addicted to technology than I want to be. I have yep. an eight year old who wants to, to be involved in technology more than I want her to be. Mm-hmm. I feel beholden to the giant technology platforms like everybody else. Yep. Um, but I also create technology. And so I want to believe, and I do believe mm-hmm. that it can be a force for good. But there's a second part of that that's equally important. And that is being intentional, practiced, yes. right, skillful at making it a force for good. Yes. And those all take intentional decisions. That takes training. And like I said, it, it takes practice. Ethics is, is not black and white. Ethics right. is very much a practice. And mm-hmm. that means you you have to, you have to put real uh, process uh, and frameworks in place to do it. It can't be one department. It can't be about compliance. It has to be embedded throughout. And ethics is a big word. And even we, um, when we were refreshing our brand and who we are, and we were going out there with it, there was, there was trepidation about using a word as strong as ethics. Um, and I, it lands for some people. It doesn't, it doesn't land for others. I think it's because a lot of people don't have as much experience with what ethics is, right? Unless you went to, you know, business or law school, you might feel like you actually, that's too big a topic that's over there, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it can be broken down into some really specific frameworks and, and some specific approaches. And we've been doing that work intentionally um, for a while now, not always though. And mm-hmm. I want to be honest about that. Yeah. So when I say we're a digital optimist, it's as much telling the outside world as it is reminding ourselves mm-hmm. that every day we go to work and we help our clients to put something out into the world, whether mm-hmm. that's research or innovation or digital product, we have to remind ourselves <laughs> that we have power, that we have responsibility mm-hmm. and that, that we can use that for good impact. And that doesn't mean we don't do for-profit businesses. That doesn't mean we don't right. need e-commerce. Right. Right. I have no problems with a fair exchange of money for value. Right. Like, <laughs> right. So, cause yeah. I get a lot of things like, Oh, so you, so do you, do you only do social impact work? And I'm like, no. And nor, nor do I think you can only do social impact right. work to be an ethical technologist. This applies to everyone. Right. Um, and certainly everyone in a, in a creator environment, and, and so that's an important thing to, to say. It's like, it doesn't mean we don't do, you know, businesses that right. are in it for profit. Profit in and of itself is not unethical. It's, right. it's the, the way we pursue that profit that mm-hmm. can be and, and very often is. It, certainly at the large scale that we see technology platforms operating right. in because there it's its own economy at this point mm-hmm. um which is is also a big layer of this like how do, how do we work within an economy that has as much power as this one does mm-hmm. and and make change and i really believe that change is at the individual level right it's each person yep. you talk to um which is why something like a word like optimism that you know is not powerless it might feel like oh it's a mm. it's a mindset no it's it's more than that. Right. it's a drive it's it's an actual it's an actual drive to to do better i love that how you mentioned um you know ethics is not black and white and we we've gone through exercises where we talk about you know um our bit we have our our uh, our company values and um as we so I guess my question, one of my questions is how has the pursuit of ethics and technology, um, what are the implications it's had on your culture? So one example would be 
uh, when we hire, when we look to hire individuals and we purposefully hire slow because we care so much about our culture. Um, and a lot of individuals in our space, um, I've heard similar things. It's like, yes, our culture is so important to us. We take our time in hiring. And we talk a lot about, uh, we want them to add to our culture, but be values aligned. And so mm-hmm. obviously ethics and, and tech uh, and innovation is a value. How do you screen for that? How do you, because I mean, even like ethics, like you mentioned, is a, it's a big word and it's nuanced. And um, I, you know, I know that there's 50 people in our company and we may have, you know, four different viewpoints on what's ethical in any situation. So right. how have you, um, how have you rallied the troops, so to speak on what that means for your company? What, what does that mean for, for you guys? Well, we, we hire slow because we're in Seattle, Washington. (laughs) And frankly, every role we have, uh, people could go down the street and get paid more money than I could could, conceive of at one of the technologies. That is a very fair point. (laughs) We compete for talent with, with Google, with Facebook, with Amazon, with, you know, um, and with a, a lot of startups, right? Mm. Um, and we don't just hire on the West Coast, but we we certainly attract more people on the West Coast. And yeah. and so the way we select um, is that people are self-selecting because mm-hmm. why would you go to a consulting agency that where you know, frankly, you're going to get paid less money than you would at Amazon or Google? I'm not trying to pick on any company. Oh, sure. I, I pick yeah. on the big boys all the time. They right. don't care about me. Right. I can't. And they can take it. They can take it. They can it. take <laughs> it, right? Um, but they, they are sucking up large without question of, mm-hmm. of talent right and so that that means a couple of things one anybody who responds to us when we put the call out for for hiring and we've been hiring all year by the way and it's been incredibly slow yeah. um, but we've gotten some incredibly high quality people mm-hmm. because they're self-selecting they're like what right and one of the reasons why we went very clear with our intentions around digital optimism, ethical innovation. Um, and we're actually about to do a refresh in just a few months and we'll be even clearer, right? Like, mm-hmm. is that that helps us that self-selects people like who are yep. who are asking themselves, why would I go consulting instead of going client side? And oh, it's because I can do that in a mission-driven way that I might not be able to do that yes. um, client side. And so we we tend to attract people who are really interested in that. And, and that gives us a little bit more power to choose for, like you said, culture ad and, and diversity. And yeah. so one of the things that's been happening in parallel to our, um, and is definitely related to mm-hmm. the, our intentions around ethical innovation is some real looking in the mirror about how inclusive and diverse our organization is. Mm-hmm. And like many West Coast technology-centric companies, we're way too white. Mm-hmm. We're still way too male. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a very, very diverse executive team, which I'm incredibly proud of. That's awesome. Um, but we have um, a lot of work to do for the, yeah. for the rest of those staff. And so mm-hmm. we've been doing a lot of intentional work in, in that area as well. And those two things, those two things work together. I mean, one right. of the things we, we tell our, we both tell our clients and our clients tell us, we have actual clients now who require diversity of the teams mm-hmm. that service them and they're large clients. So they have the power to do that. And even though it can be challenging, I'm so, I'm so glad for it because it's a catalyst. And so we try to be that catalyst for companies too. Like, Hey, you know, it, homogenous teams are not going to come up with the most innovative and interesting problem solving as teams that right. have a lot of diversity. Um, and that's just true. 
and we've seen it, we've seen it. Yep. <laughs> we can, yep. we can both look at the stats and there's lots of stats around that, but and research around it, but we also have seen it in our experience. So mm -hmm. um, those two things go hand in hand for us. So this really has, it, it's an interesting time to be in technology. And I think it's an important time to be realigning around mm -hmm. our values yes. um, in that space. Yep, absolutely. Um, you mentioned driving towards clarity. Uh, that's something that we are just right on the heels of. Uh, we had our uh, two two and a half day offsite last week, and driving towards clarity of mission and vision, and re rethinking our narrative. Uh, we've rethought our narrative and our story. What what do we want our story, Crema story, to be? Um, as, as a product agency. And what do we want, um, as we go in, we talk about, um, going into work with, you know, open hands, we're here to serve, uh, the, the, the technology we build, the consulting we provide is meant to serve, uh, towards a greater purpose. Uh, we believe that, you know, design technology and culture can change people's lives. That technology is in service of that. Um, out of curiosity, was the, was this a big push of yours when you became CEO or is this already in the works as you were working at substantial? No, this was, this was my mission when I became CEO. Yeah. Um, and I've been really grateful that I've been given uh, full trust and authority yeah. to, to really push it. Um, we weren't, we've always been a culture driven company, I mm -hmm. would say. So our mm -hmm. culture has always been strong. Um, but we certainly weren't a mission-driven company and we weren't a values-driven company. Um, and so that that was something I was really passionate about. And I feel like it's it, it's what we need to thrive in the future, right? Both with attracting and retaining the kind of talent that we really need um, to attracting and retaining the kind of clients we want and the, yeah. to get the kind of work that's really important to us. Um, right. And there's definitely, you know, we have very high tenure rates at Substantial. Mm -hmm. So I have coworkers, um, I, I, there are many coworkers who've been there longer than me, and I've been there a decade almost, um, and lots and lots that are in that 10 year time period, right below it, which is pretty unusual again in, in this space. Uh, and certainly on the West Coast with so much competition. And so, you know, d did I put out a big mission and everybody <laughs> go, <laughs> no, it's, it's something, and I, I despise the idea that a mission is like a statement that you put on the right. wall, right? 100%. That makes it true. Um, so there was a bit of a splash because we decided to do a full rebrand, right? Mm -hmm. So there's always a splash around that. And I was, it was super fun to do that splash. But the, the real change happens in the work we do every day, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's the only way we're going to actually live any kind of mission. It doesn't matter if I state it or don't state it. All that matters is the work that the, the teams are doing every single day, both our, our client facing teams and our operations teams, everything they're doing, um, it has to reflect those values. Um, yes. And so I'm a, you know, I'm a journalist in, in training. And so I believe really strongly in the power of words. So mm -hmm. when I say I don't believe in a mission statement on a poster, it's not about the words. I think the words are very important. Right. And I think stating them out loud, right. it is very, very important and being clear about that. But you, ha you have to actually then operation operationalize it right. if you want to use like big fancy business words. Yes. Like, there has to be a way for people to see that in the work we do every day. And we're still working on that, right? Mm -hmm. I think just like you have five people at your company, like what does ethics mean? We, we are having those exact same conversations. I can be yep. both on one hand, I try to tell people this when I go talk about this because I think 
in technology in particular, but really anytime you, you present a huge world problem, mm-hmm. like, you know, this one is people want the rules to fix it. <laughs> they want, right. like, just tell me how to fix it. And I'm like, I yeah. can't, I can't do that. I can't tell you how to mm-hmm. fix an entire economy. I can't tell you how to fix Google. Um, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right. Google has people who are far smarter than me there and they haven't figured out how to fix it. Right. So, what so you know you you have to admit to yourself that there's not always one you know one set of handy dandy rules to do but there are definitely approaches that you can use time and time again that will help you work towards a more ethical and responsible version of whatever it is you're doing you just have to choose to do it and it does usually take more time let's be honest about that too like what everybody's worried about is when can I launch? When will I be revenue positive? How fast can I grow? Um, I love doing work for startups, but I would be lying if I didn't say that like founder and entrepreneurial culture right now really scares me sometimes. The just mm-hmm. intense drive for funding and for giant scale um, to be the, you know, like I'm always, I meet serial entrepreneurs all the time and I'm always like, what does that mean to you? Like, <laughs> Yeah, what is right. it? What is it? Yeah, like, are you are you passionate to create, you know, a great workplace for employees? Are you passionate? Like, what does success mean to you when you're a serial entrepreneur? And I fear that in some cases, um, it's I'm trying to create, you know, a billion dollars worth of value somehow, or you know, or a billion dollars worth of revenue. Let's not call it value. Right. Right. Um, so I talk a lot about that, and I, I still think it comes down to a lot of individual responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, we all want our work to be connected to some something meaningful. We want to make yeah. meaning out of our work, um, whether it's um, helping our clients, whether it's uh, collaborating really well with the coworkers beside me of different viewpoints and perspectives. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that. Um, there was a, a, around um, product teams. And even earlier on in our conversation, you mentioned a really amazing design team paired with a really amazing development team. Some of my best moments uh, early on, uh, we, again, we got our start purely in design. And as we continued to hire on uh, more designers and developers, I loved the collaboration because they saw this, they looked at the same problem, the same product solution, but in different ways because of their perspective, their viewpoint, their skill set, whatever that may be. And so building, um, I think part of ethics in technology, what it does is it brings multiple perspectives to the table too, as well. Um, and it expands our thinking that way, you know, as my coach, my basketball coach used to say, don't have tunnel vision. You got to see the whole court. Um, (laughs) You know, that's why there's multiple people on the court to see different viewpoints. We talk a lot about that, uh, the beauty of a product team coming together. Uh, cause again, and it stretches your thinking. Um, I've read an article today about liminal thinking that liminal in order to cross, cross the threshold, we all have this like, Oh, well, that's obvious. And the author is saying, if you ever catch yourself asking that or saying that to yourself, chances are you haven't stretched your thinking far enough. You've got to have some liminal thinking. You got to cross that threshold into some some new perspectives. Um, So I don't know about you, but a lot of times I feel like uh, as an owner, as a leader, and as you um, are really driving towards clarity, a mission, a lot of times people still miss it. <laughs> they, they miss the point. <laughs> so as you are um, talking with individuals, either inside your company or, you know, business partners, or just, you know, your network, what, what do people often miss 
what do people maybe often miss as far as either misunderstand or maybe they don't quite get it as you talk to them about ethics and technology? Yeah, I mean, I think at, at my company, there's just a, we're, it's a fairly, I would say a naturally skeptical group mm. um, in the sense that we're real question askers. There's a curiosity there. Mm. Um, but, it, and I, I, of course, think curiosity is like, uh, a really important trait in what we oh, do. Oh yeah, and just in being happy in life, is right? Curiosity, um, but it can, you know, it can transition into skeptical. And I think the the biggest thing that my team struggle with is that we're consultants, mm-hmm. and we there is always some aspect of what we are creating that is not under our control because right? <laughs> we are yeah. we have a client. We have a client, and who's paying us, and we need to serve exactly. them. <laughs> Yeah. And so no client of ours ever comes to us and is like, hey, I need you to, you know, create this for me. And I don't care if it makes money. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that never happens. I don't care. Right? Like, that never well. happens. I don't care if it's successful. Um, we do lots of foundation work. So, um, you know, we we have the kind of clients who uh, can take time and energy to go in the longer term version for things that are not necessarily meant to, to be for profit in the traditional sense. But we have lots of like you know, regular clients who are like, yeah, no, we, this mm-hmm. actually needs to make, this needs to make money if that's not obvious. Um, and so I think the skepticism that I, I hear and want to address the most with my team is the feeling of, of lack of control. Like, can we really affect change here? Will they really listen to us? Can we advocate? Can we, can we tell them we want to do something the right way, even though it's going to take longer, right? Yeah. It's going to, um, and that's a really hard conversation. Absolutely. And there are definitely clients that could could say no to that. But this is, again, part of that self-selecting, the yeah. kinds of clients that we appeal to and the kinds of clients that really view our credibility positively, right? When we put uh, you know, a case study out or talk about the work we've done, right? we're telling a story about who we are. And I want to be as, as forthright as we can so that the clients are like, that resonates with me. That feels like the kind of team I want to work mm-hmm. with that's, and and the kind of clients that are like I'm paying you a lot of money to come in and be my partner and you have expertise I don't have so right. tell me more right they yeah. still might not agree and I right. think the feeling of lack of control can be frustrating um but it, there is also what I think is the positivity of constraints right we build our we build products for ourselves every once in a while yeah when we have time and yep. <laughs> Keyword there when we have time. (laughs) When when we have time, but it's astonishing how difficult that work is too. It's not like all of a sudden when there's no rules or constraints, it makes things easier. Our clients provide um, really healthy constraints. The business can, uh, any business and any company that's trying to do innovation and creation, business constraints can be very positive things. Mm -hmm. Um, A budget can be very positive, a timeline. They're not always. Um, You have to choose your constraints, but like just an open field where you can do anything, that's a very difficult space to to really create in, um, you know, unless you've got years and years and years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, you mentioned constraints and building products. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, two of our employees had a wonderful idea that we call Venture Lab now. And it's um, our ability to, uh, we employees pitch, they have ideas, and then we mm-hmm. every other Friday, uh, they're able to work on those ideas. And that's been a huge source of education for all of us. Because the things that we talk to our clients about, but yet um, the client will be doing themselves. We won't be doing it for them, whether it's go-to-market strategy or getting out of the building, customer development, mm-hmm. we're now doing for the, our own product. And it's That's sometimes great. you're, you, sometimes you're looking around the table going, how would we do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. Um, so it's been a great from a culture standpoint, but it's really given us even a deeper sense of empathy for our clients as well. Cause we've stepped in their shoes. Cause we're, we're the client, we're the builder, but we're also the client. Yeah. yeah. I, I can see how that would, we don't, yeah. you know, uh, that's a really, I, you know, offline, we'll talk a little bit more yeah. about how you do the venture labs. We don't, we don't quite approach it that way, but what we do is kind of similar, but we usually get a, a team of people and when they're coming off projects and before they go on another project and, and they get some time and space to work on things. And, you know, we decide lots of amazing passion projects have come out of that. Um, one of our employees, uh, they are insanely smart and talented and have a background in, yeah. in research, but they mm -hmm. just built a data visualization tool that shows you um, the pattern of anti-trans legislation that's gone on across the country. Okay. And not only yeah. is it incredibly well thought out, it's, hmm. it's amazing visually, but it's also actionable and really interesting. And that was done in you know their time in between projects and then mm -hmm. when it was ready got some support from some other team members so there's lots of really awesome. interesting things that we wouldn't normally be able to take on um that when we can we we try to take on and yeah. my hope is that they're really energizing for the people working on them because this is hard yep. work what we do right it like, is um it's not it's not saving lives. Right. <laughs> it's not, it's right. not, we're not in ER, you know, you know? <laughs> we're not, we're not out in the sun laboring, but it, it yeah. has its own way. And certainly over the last year, you know, uh, my team is incredibly burnt out, um, yeah. which I understand. And so projects like that, that can be really energizing, um, are so important. Absolutely. And then, and the discipline of celebration too, you know, yes. when you're all in the same office together, it, it's, you know, just the serendipitous celebrations can happen, whether it's like, oh, I'm telling you about what we just did for a client. It's like, oh man, that's awesome. When you're at home alone, yeah. the, 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 the frequency of those went down and it's a discipline yeah. and getting back into that discipline for sure. Um, so uh, another question, what, what's really grabbing your attention right now? So as you think about mm. the next 12 to 18 months, What's, what's one of the main things you're focusing on that's grabbing your attention? That's a, wow. that's a, that's a doozy. That's <laughs> grabbing my attention. Well, I'll tell you some things. I, I'll, I'll tell you a book I'm reading that's been yeah. really inspir inspirational for me. So I, like many people, am overwhelmed at um, the idea of climate change and what we're mm -hmm. going to do to address it and my individual responsibility and all the things that um, we think about these days. And I'm reading a book called Ministry of the Future, or for the Future, Ministry for the Future. It's a Ken Stanley Robinson book, um, famous sci-fi writer, who's also sort of a futurist and really well-researched and um, incredibly smart. And it's, it's set in the near future. It's about an organization that, like the UN type organization that is in charge of advocating for the future citizens of the world for the actions we can take now. And so it's, it's fiction um, right. and it's sci-fi fiction, but it's incredibly well thought out and well-researched. And there's some really innovative and interesting ideas in there from a problem solving perspective that are very clearly researched with scientists. Mm -hmm. And it's really inspiring because it reminds you that we, we are the answer to the problems we're the only answer to the problems that we have created and there are some really really 
incredibly smart people out there mm -hmm. who are already working on this. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be solved and we don't have individual responsibility. If anything, it inspired right. me more to think about my individual responsibility. Um, and it has some horrific things that will have, you know, that could happen from us letting climate change go unchecked, but it's a really great read. Hmm. Um, very, very interesting and just super inspiring about yeah. Um, science, research, technology, all the things we've all been thinking a lot about over the last year anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and I really loved it. So what it did for me, I think is, is renew that faith. I, mm -hmm. I've been a little beaten down <laughs> this year by news in the technology space. I mean, honestly, I have, and I give my talk, which is called, are we building products that are ruining the world? Right. And one of the times I gave it was in like February. And I just remember I had a timeline of here's some of the, here's some of the events in the yeah. last six months in the technology space. And by the time I got done with it, I was like, I, I still somehow am a digital optimist. <laughs> like even mm. I was skeptical. <laughs> Right. And so reading this book has reminded me uh, the power of innovation um, oh. and what we really can do if we can direct our energies in the right places. It's, it's a great book. Yeah. And it probably has an effect on, as you think about even the, the industries you target and yes. what, how, how can you use the learnings from that book um, as, you, as you serve and work with your clients for sure. Yeah, you know, we do a lot of work in the education space, a lot of mm -hmm. research driven at work in the education space. And um, it that work in particular has me thinking a lot of and I have an eight year old right who's going into the third grade, and we just got through a year of virtual school. And so you have all these ideas about technology and, and how it can help and hinder education and what its place is. And so you know, I'm, I, those are two big things I'm thinking about right now. And yeah. both of them are incredibly relevant to the work we do in those substantial. Yeah, absolutely. So Carrie, what's one thing you'd like for our listeners to take away from our time today about our conversation or about substantial? Um, well, the one thing I always want people to take away when I have conversations about technology is that individuals really do matter. Hmm. So meaning being a person who actually cares about the way you use your own technology, the way you think about creativity and ethics and personal responsibility um, yes. as, a, as a creator really does matter. Um, even in the face of billions, let's say, or at least millions of people who might feel differently, even in the face of giant technology platforms that, right, um, have wield a lot of power. So hmm. individual knowledge and responsibility um, is is both under your control and also incredibly powerful. Yeah. And the the thing I would want them to take away from this is that there are companies out there, yours, <laughs> mine, selfishly, um, <laughs> that you can go and work for that really care as well. And so you can compound that impact by working in organizations that are are really committed to doing things better. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie, you're really inspiring. Oh, this has been fantastic. No, I've, I've loved every bit of this conversation. This has been, yeah, the best conversation of, of the day for me. Thank you so much Thanks for being for here. Me. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, the two words in, in my mind right now from this that I will, I'm a processor, so I'm going to process <laughs> long after this is, uh, is meaning and legacy. 
And that word legacy has been big for personally for my family for um, that's been a word for us as we think about mm-hmm. our family and down the road. Yeah. But even from a, a business standpoint is and individually, we all want to leave a legacy. And what does that look like? And if tech is a big part of our lives individually, but also anyone who's, who's working in a modern tech organization, technology infiltrates everything. So what does that look like and how can we leave a positive legacy? So I'm going to be processing long after this. So again, thank you so much for being with me today. This was fantastic. My pleasure. This episode of People or Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with the support from Gabby Caton, Julie Branson, and Alexa Alfonso. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People or Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.